This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyers Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatane by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed. We didn't talk on Monday because it was a public holiday. We had recorded that show earlier. So how was your weekend? It was good. Um, planted lots of veggies in the garden, uh, and then the chooks realised I'd planted lots of veggies in the garden and jumped over their fence and ate those. So then I had to go get more and make new fences. So, but that's okay because they're just doing what chooks do. Yes. How that was is yours? What, that is why I have spent the last few weekends moving fences. We've decided <laughs> rather than trying to keep the chickens into places, we are trying to keep the chickens out of places. Yep, that's kind of where I'm at too now because I love my chooks, but I also want to grow some veggies. Yes. And who are we introducing today? It's my great pleasure to introduce Naomi Pocock, who is the Director of STEM Curiosity. Welcome, Naomi. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. Kia ora. Kia ora, Naomi. I was going to start with where are you? Okay, I'll do that anyway. Where are you, Naomi? Um, I'm currently at, live at home just out of Hamilton. Okay, so the question that nearly got in my way, you'll have to tell me what STEM Curiosity is. Ah, okay. Well, STEM Curiosity is a charity that I've set up with my sister. Uh, STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering and Maths. And it's all about getting children curious about those subjects. Uh, So we have a child-led learning philosophy. So that rather than following a recipe, uh, like, for example, a science experiment would normally follow a recipe and then you get the result. This is about getting children curious about what happens if I mix this with this and what's and exploring uh, the results of that. Same we shall engineering. C- Sorry. We shall come back to that. I want to ask about the the lockdowns and the the, the pandemic and how that affected you and, and your life. I know it's really getting into serious history now, but how was your bubble life? Um, well, the first bubble was good because my children, I've got three boys and they were quite young and uh, we'd come through play centres. So we took a, you know, free play attitude to the first lockdown. So they had a fantastic time and got into some really creative stuff, uh, self-initiated. Uh, and then we had the second lockdown. I can't remember how much the time frame in between, but it felt like to me that they'd grown up that much more and that there were some expectations around schooling that we hadn't followed in the first lockdown. (laughs) And so we we attempted some more homeschooling 
uh, with our three boys. And that was difficult to say the least, uh, but beneficial in the long run because we sort of taught them that they needed to knuckle down and focus on the work that was being asked of them. So there were some, some interesting times, but we, ma we made it through. We're all still alive. And we still love each other. <laughs> well, maybe they would have learnt just as much by carrying on the, the play centre curiosity approach. They, they may well have learnt more. However, uh, we felt at that stage that we it was important that we followed the directives of the school um, more so. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't all day. You know, it was a few hours in the morning, bit of maths, read a book, you know, 20 minutes of reading, bit of writing or spelling. It wasn't huge, but for three boys, it was, it was not easy. <laughs> and did you manage to get some work done during that time? Um, yes and no. So uh, my husband was a, um, uh, owns his own business. So he was working and I, you know, we sort of took turns and uh, yeah, we didn't really um, leave them to, as such to, to, you know, to do their own thing. So STEM Curiosity, how long has that been around and how did it start? Um, so that is relatively new. I set it up in 2021. Um, I, I actually went through an organisation called Impact Hub, and they are a global organisation, and they're all about making businesses impactful uh, or, and supporting charities to, to make an impact, uh, you know, through supporting them with business kind of um, philosophies. So um, that was really good. I did a course through them and that sort of helped me, enabled me to, to set it up really well. Then we got some wonderful funding from Sport Waikato uh, to, to get us off the ground. And then, um, then the pandemic really hit New Zealand uh, in terms of the red light setting. And so, you know, we weren't able to get into the schools that we wanted to. Uh, so it's taken a while uh, for everything to settle down. And now we're we're going hard out, getting into schools, taking our um, our program into schools, and and we've done sort of over three thousand children. So it's it's fantastic. So it started in twenty one. Had it been brewing for a while? Oh, it's been brewing inside my mind for a long <laughs> time. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I would say yeah, good few years, and my sister as well that we think it's so important to to get kids interested and our first uh, program that we're taking into schools is kind of a messy play uh, you know the euphemism is sensory play using your senses but really it's just messy play with with dirt sand you know coffee grounds and then gloop so so corn flour making non-newtonian non fluids or we do another one with baking soda and vinegar, which react really nicely with each other um, to make some wonderful explosions and things. <laughs> so do you come to this from science? Uh, I come. I probably come to it more from Play Centre. So both my sister and I are involved in Play Centre, and, um, and that's where I learnt the value and the importance of messy play for children. Um, and I learned so much through my play centre experience and I just want to 
you know offer that to others other children that we have a we have a trend to well there's a, a bit of a trend towards forest schools in New Zealand there's a lot of forest schools popping up they're so expensive and it, you know three I got three boys I cannot afford to send three boys off to forest school for a day a week um so this is about a little bit about bringing bringing the earth to the children and giving them a chance to get their hands in it and some will and many won't many don't want to touch touch the dirt and they think it's yucky and i find that quite devastating because we want this generation to connect with the earth and you know uh, understand environmental issues etc and if they won't even touch it then you know how we're going to start so we were at the beach the over the weekend with our four-year-old our grandchild four-year-old um, and found a seahorse and put a picture on Facebook of of um, of her holding this this seahorse and some of the comments on Facebook were to the effect of what are you doing letting her hold it yeah. wasn't she scared of it no it was all I could do to stop her grabbing it yeah yeah it's it's quite concerning um, I think think you know a big part of it is the way that we're doing early childhood education in New Zealand so another hat that I wear is um in the last election I was the education spokesperson for the opportunities party and I wrote their early learning um policy which um you know was well regarded by the likes of Nathan Wallace who's a neuroscience educator and and a few others uh but but you know, it comes down to what are we doing with our children in those early years? How are we valuing parenting in our society? Are parents just an economic labour unit to get back to work as soon as possible so they can pay more tax? Or are parents a, an, a, you know, a crucial part of the children's uh, education in those early years? Um, you know, are they the first educators of our children because they're who the children look to? So they're going to follow them first. Um, you know, there's all this stuff about uh, connection, relationships, you know, the babies needing a one-to-one -one relationship, a, a close, it's called a dyad, the primary dyad. So it's that close one-to-one -one, consistent reciprocal relationship with one person where we're innately wired to look to one that's our survival instinct as babies you know we can't stand up like a horse can't do much really so we can poo and spew on someone and they'll still love us because we've got relationship with them uh so you know there's there's a lot to be looked at i think and um and questioned around what we're doing with our young people and and our parents it's unaffordable it's unaffordable for many parents not not to be working um so then what you know why is that and how can we fit? so there's lots to be done let's take the first of your music choices let's have solomon burke cry to me why this one uh cry to me i i particularly like the line uh loneliness is such a waste of time so um, before I had my children, I did a PhD in, in home and belongingness. And I know the importance of uh, everyone having a, a sense of connection and community. And, you know, everyone deserves to be loved. 
Um, so there's there's that reason that, you know, let's not feel lonely. Let's find a way to connect with people. But also uh, when I play it, my boys come and dance around the lounge, around the kitchen with me. So I quite like that that, that, that inspires them to do that. When your baby leaves you all alone and nobody calls you on the phone Don't you feel like a cry? Don't you feel like a cry? Well, here I am, honey I Come on, you cry to me The smell of her perfume Don't you feel like a cry Don't you feel like crying Don't you feel like a cry Come on, come on, cry to me them in messy play and all the benefits of that how do we engage their parents in that so uh, I think so we're going into primary schools and um, it starts with the teachers you know the teachers observing the play the learning the enthusiasm the curiosity of the children as they're experiencing this program and talking to the teachers and and you know long-term goal is to you know be able to provide resources around this program and others that we've got great ideas about um so you know starting with the teachers and their awareness and understanding and then you know in the uk for example there's been there's been a big push there's a big study done around taking the curriculum outside so if you look at the school curriculum so much of it could be done outside. We don't need to have all of our children sitting in, you know, inside, you know, almost like offices really, isn't it? You know, we've got them sitting at their little desks 
pushing paper around, you know, that's not the only way to do to do education. And many teachers obviously know this and, you know, and um, provide a varied curriculum and authentic learning. Uh, but the system, the system doesn't really do a great job of allowing um, allowing teachers to incorporate this, this sort of uh, education into their program. So it's the system that needs changing, you know, that all that regulation and compliance rather than opening it up to, you know, professional development, enabling teachers to, to grow in their practice and, um, and, you know, actually focus on the learning, you know, rather than the admin. So, um, so I think it starts with the education system, the teachers, you know, parents are busy, they are, they're stressed, they are, they're on a hard grind, working, you know, both working and then the weekends and they actually, they, you know, I do feel a bit sorry for the parents because some of our kids, one little girl at the end of the program, this was so funny, she picked up her bowl of mud that she'd made, muddy, gloopy stuff, and tipped it on her head and then said, I don't think mum's going to be too happy about this. And we were like, oh, gosh, that looks really interesting. And what does it feel like? But, you know, poor mum, you know, they would have, she would have had a few dirty clothes to clean. So, and some hair to wash. Uh, so while it's a fantastic experience for the children, um, yeah, we need to, I think we need to find ways to, to make it easier for mum, parents, parents to, to deal with but yeah i mean you know then the teachers talk to the parents about oh we had this fantastic program they put photos in the newsletter you know they talk about what it what it brings um and then and we you know with some schools we go back so we'll go back three times maybe four times and um and that provides another level of learning because the kids experience it once then the next time they extend themselves then we might bring in the other stuff. So like the baking soda and vinegar. So that's more interesting. And, and the white powder is interesting. They, they see the white powder, they, they know that it's different and they're like, oh, we're, you know, we're doing different things with this powder today and it does different things. It's really fascinating for them. Um, because that's cornflour versus baking soda, obviously. And um, yeah, so, so, and then they extend their learning and the teachers see that too, you know, week one, maybe the, maybe little, you know, little Johnny doesn't want to get his hands dirty. And then week two, he's realized that all his mates are, so he does have it a go and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, the parent, the kids go back and talk to the parents and say, with great enthusiasm, they've enjoyed their day at school. <laughs> no, that's not true. Hopefully they enjoy their day at school most days. One of the things that we talk about on the show a lot is developing critical thinking skills, because that, that's definitely an issue especially once our kids are getting into high school, you really notice the absence of them and then in tertiary, even more so. Yeah. Do you think that this is a pathway to that, to developing those skills? Um, yeah, because we're challenging the status quo and I guess that's what critical thinking is at its fundamental level, challenging the status quo. And to me, it's also, um, you know, on behalf of the underdog. Um, so the underdog here is probably the environment. Uh, so... Um, yep, and, and allowing allowing that questioning, allowing you know, allowing that um, interaction, that conversation to happen at all levels, whether it's between the children at their level, um, or between the parent, the children and teachers and the parents, you know, um, allowing that conversation to happen is really 
important um, and letting people ask the question and then with critical thinking you know it's it's informing it's informing with evidence-based practice and so there's a lot of evidence on so many levels whether it's um touching soil uh builds your immune system because of all the microorganisms that are in the soil that then get into your system um or whether it's uh you know this conversation around you know getting clothes dirty and that that's okay or you know or, or the evidence around um you know children thinking outside the square and not just staying inside a box and um considering different options and exploring and becoming interested you know one one of the examples is these these children didn't even know how to fill up a water bottle underwater so they'd have a water bottle and they'd you know we'd have a we had a big bucket of water where they could fill up their own water bottles to add to their mixture and they were like holding it upside down to try and fill it or they'd go scoop scoop to try and fill it so so many times have i said oh well if you hold it under the water you see all the bubbles coming that's that's the air coming out the water flying in when the bubbles stop the things fall you know it, it it's it's phenomenal um so so yeah so critical thinking around um yeah challenging the way that we're doing things uh in to our children you know and the and the and the rights actually that they have as citizens in our society and what what they need as citizens and what we should be providing for them and it's not you know it's not purpose-built institutional care from zero to 18. how do we how do we get moving education outside the classroom into nature and having these experiences and developing that that way of thinking based on our experiences how do we make that the norm in this country because you would think of all the countries in the world this would be the most natural place where that would happen so how do we make that happen? What's the change that needs to happen? Um, well, so some schools are doing it. Some schools are, you know, particularly schools that neighbour a forest forest area, you know, so that where they just have to jump the fence or cross a paddock. Um, so many schools are becoming aware of this of this evidence, and it, and you know, it's a it's a swinging pendulum, right? Maybe that we used to spend heaps of time outside, now we're not, now we're realising, and so we're swinging the pendulum back. Um, alongside some really good professional development. So I think it's really important that evidence-based professional development across the board for all teachers um, to, be, to build the awareness and to maybe change some of the stories that you know we've been told for ages about the way that we need to be doing things. Um, and you know and shaking up and shaking up the, uh, the regulatory system, you know, there's too much regulation and compliance in education in New Zealand at the moment. And we need to, you know, train our teachers well, provide quality professional development. And that does not look like sitting in a workshop for a day. It looks like, you know, coaching and mentoring and collaboration and, you know, working together as a profession and taking ownership of the profession and en enabling teachers to be the professionals that they are. Mm. And, um, and, you know, while gathering the evidence 
behind to support them. Um, yeah, so that I guess that's that's where we come from, you know, from the Opportunities Party perspective, you know, providing look looking to the countries overseas where education's Denmark, Denmark has a really good example of outdoor education uh, as part of their normal way of doing things. And Denmark, you could argue, uh, has you know has a more challenging climate than New Zealand. You know, people go, oh, it's raining. The the rain bell rings. Bring all the kids inside. Well, okay, well, how about we say the rain bell rings, all the kids come and get a rain jacket and stay outside uh, instead of coming in and watching a movie. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a few things we need to change. But um, but awareness is the first, first step, I think. And, um, and then enabling, empowering the teaching profession to, you know, challenge back and, and question this, uh, the way that we're doing things in terms of the administration. It's just ridiculous. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. I really hope, wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are. A triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here, making things better. Now I talk to you all from my white temple, my little room, my house that I can easily heat. It's a very beautiful room and it is my wee sanctuary and place of relaxation and rest. And having spent the last several days, maybe 10 days, having got a Fitbit and doing all these big walks so that I could earn various badges, getting 32,100 steps. That gets me a bob badge, all this sort of thing. It's been very helpful. I now have sore feet and need to rest a lot. Having done lots and lots of very, very long and beautiful walks. So I've had a wonderful time and being able to explore and celebrate the beauty of our home has been wonderful, of course, now that we are in the realm of spring and we have more light and more warmth each day. It's been a real pleasure for me. And of course, walking is so beneficial and so helpful to find oneself in this place of stillness and reflection. So many things arise to be processed and in a helpful way to be understood and, and to be evolved through. So it's been a really great time. But I've been so grateful also for the opportunity to have we rest. And that's been yesterday, and that will be part of today. Also, I've been at my heart's home workplace, Orokanui Eco Sanctuary. I've had lots of groups coming to see me, which has been really wonderful. Lots of beautiful geography students and zoology students and early childhood groups, all, all of these different ages and stages of life. But of course the child within and of course the adult within all of these aspects have come together to really enjoy frolicking about and adventuring about 
Also, the Takahe egg has started hatching, which is very exciting. And I was on a big walk down the valley when I got that news. And luckily enough, I was spontaneously encountering our old manager, Chris Bailey, who's really amazing. And as soon as I saw her, uh, I got the email about the Takahe egg, so it was all very serendipitous and exciting. So hopefully we'll have a beautiful Takahe baby running around, being all black and fluffy and squeaking away and being fed lots of bugs and having a wonderful time. Our older Takahe are doing very well as well. I had the opportunity to see them. Paku has laid an egg on the track, which is a great achievement at more than 20 years old, so it gives hope to us all. But yes, all, all of these comings and goings and these happenings and these toings and froings of living things, of course, is happening all around us all the time. And as I speak to you, I'm just so grateful that we can connect and our toings and froings are united as one. It's a great pleasure and privilege for me, of course, to be part of the show. So a huge thank you to Sam and the whole Blowing Wells team for having me. It really is a wonderful opportunity for me to share and I'm so grateful. I'm always reminded, of course, that other lives are continuing and I can hear that right now. There are chainsaws going. People are doing their best to care for their own homes and gardens. It's wonderful to hear. And, you know, we're so lucky that we can be together now. We can come together in person and hear all the adventures we've been having while we've been apart. What a pleasure and privilege. I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Naomi Pocock. Naomi, you were talking before Tahu there about science and engaging particularly young children in science as curiosity. And we've talked quite a lot about on the show about science as a process rather than as facts. And it's not about learning the periodic table. But at some point in, in people's education, it does turn into all of those facts do we want to try and push that further or do we want to try and maintain that curiosity? How do you see that crossover happening? Well, I, well, I think it's both. You know, we do need people to understand, you know, basic scientific fact, you know, the earth is round, not flat, uh, etc. So, there, you know, there's an element of science that is factual. It is, you know, the evidence has been gathered and we say the science is settled. So when the science is settled on a matter, you know, there's not really any any serious questioning of it again. And that's an important thing for children to learn about. But alongside that, you know, comes the curiosity. And with curiosity comes innovation. So while we might know something to be true, then we explore that further, put it over here on a different path and go, what if I do that with it? Then what happens? And so that's where uh, you know, we, we get innovation. So so it's both. And um, just to, you know, talk about learning as a process, not a product. I read a fantastic book, Wellbeing's The Disobedient Teacher. And it's, you know, it's, it's there, there's actually a, group, a Facebook group of disobedient teachers. And to me, they're the thought leaders. 
and they should be raised up as the thought leaders. And they're disobeying the system, the system and the regulations that I was talking about before. Uh, and they're doing wonderful work and they're the thought leaders of the teaching profession. So it's not to say that we, you know, we throw all science out the window, you know, because science is an important part of our knowledge system. And, and science is based on, you know, multiple studies, lots of evidence that comes together to, to provide fact. And um, I guess what we've found rec in recent years is some people will pick up one study, you know, one piece of evidence and present that very loudly, often through social media, as the truth. And But science is based on multiple of those studies or pieces of research that then all come, that then are questioned and, and by experts, actually. You know, you, you have to have studied something for, you know, a, a couple of decades, probably, you know, to be to be the real expert who can who who should have voice on on the likes of social media, but a lot of those experts are too scared to get out there because they don't, you know, it's, a, it's not a not a nice world. Um, so it is problematic. One of the one of the um, one of the things that I look into is like I'm very interested in neuroscience and how our brain works and um, and the neuroscience of. Uh, of, of this phenomenon that we've had recently, you know, whether you want to call them conspiracy theories or, you know, whatever. But it used to be if we, if we felt threatened, you know, we would follow the loudest voice in the field. So say the, you know, say the tooth tiger was chasing us across the paddock, we'd be following the loudest voice to, to the safety. And we wouldn't stop in the middle of the paddock and consider all the evidence around us and, and you know, and, and think about things. We'd just follow that person who seemed to know what they were talking about. And so that's like an innate wiring in our brain, particularly when we're stressed, um, which, you know, the recent years, it's been pretty stressful for people. Uh, so so, so what, we've, what we've ended up with somewhat is some very loud voices, as I say, largely through social media, gathering together all those stressed people and telling them a, a, a message um, which, you know, which sometimes isn't, isn't based on the breadth, the breadth of the scientific fact. So, yeah, I kind of ramble a bit, don't I? But to answer your question, it's both, both, uh, both curiosity, innovation, and also, um, you know, knowledge of factual evidence is important. But for us, STEM is science, technology, engineering, and maths. So, and, and there's also recently STEAM, which includes the art, um, the arts, uh, so STEAM is the is you know a, a realization that the arts are being lost in education as well, and we need to bring them back. And so for us, you know, the curiosity sort of side helps to incorporate that. Um, but our next our next program that we want to do is things like um, is loose parts play. So this is happening in Auckland a bit, where you take a van of recycled stuff, you know, um, plumbers pipes and. Um, you know, old suitcases and just, um, you know, maybe a steering wheel, some tyres and you, just a whole van load of stuff that have, that have you know, pre-loved and drop it in a field and just let the kids play with it and create and explore and be engineers then, you know, building their structures and seeing if they stand up or getting creative with, um, with building whatever, cars. And you know. that's the next plan.
That sounds that sounds great. In the adult world, in fact, in the same world that the kids are in, of course, because it is the same world, we've seen lots of disinformation, misinformation. We've seen sectors of the community becoming disenfranchised and uh, losing some losing faith in education, or not necessarily in education, but in the sort of the scientific processes. Do you think that we could somehow? take what we've learned from working with smaller kids to to those communities, to those groups? Um, I mean, yeah, possibly. I mean, everyone has a perspective, and that perspective is valid. It's particularly very valid to them. And so it's it's not right just to, uh, you know, to rubbish it. You know, they've got their information from somewhere that's perspective. And we, we, you know, again, our brains are wired to follow the stories that we hear most frequently whether we're adults or kids and so if we keep hearing the same stuff then that's what we're going to that's the message that we're going to follow i do think that the the uh the messaging from the the government is sold as the leaders of our society um and also academics i would love to see more academics speaking out in media and having their voice heard but as i said before uh, there's a bit of a fear because of the backlash, you know, against experts. Um, but, uh, you know, misinformation being information that is wrong uh, is not as, um, as toxic as disinformation, which is information that is deliberately wrong. Uh, that is problematic to our society, that people are spreading news or factual, you know, fact-based fact, facts around things that are deliberately deliberately misleading people i just find that fundamentally concerning but yeah i mean we could um take it into adult communities we we thought about um this loose parts play idea into organizations so there there is a um, and again this is another business um model that we that i sort of developed under impact hub where we, we started thinking about big loose parts play, but we can also do small parts play. So you get little bits and pieces of pre-loved things in there and sit around a boardroom table and people create with it to, to solve a business problem or to, you know, to strategize and it's facilitated. And there's actually a methodology that developed by Lego in the um, 90s. It's called Lego Serious Play. And they um, put a whole methodology around um, play-based problem solving or play-based strategizing because again it gets people out of the box getting creative about a bit uncomfortable to be fair like you've got all this pre-loved stuff they do it with lego obviously uh, but i'm a bit anti bringing more plastic into the world so we do it with pre-loved stuff and you know getting people to create um their vision or, or the, you know their vision of whatever the the business problem is uh, the solution or whether it's strategy um, and then you you sort of bring them all together and eventually you get, you know, a big structure that is very meaningful to the people who were in the room and went through that process. And um, so then you need to label it uh, in order for that to become meaningful for others um, who weren't in the room that day. So yes, is the short answer. <laughs> yes, we certainly could. Not sure if they really, I don't know, it'd be interesting to think about how they'd go with, uh, with messy play in, in offices. <laughs> Office car parks, maybe. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have the climb 
from Stan Walker. Why this one? Um, well, this one was meaningful to me when I was doing my PhD because it's all about uh, learning that the achievement is not the goal. You know, the learning process is the uh, is the achievement, um, and and it's not about the end, the end, or the the top of the mountain. There's always gonna be another mountain. I'm always gonna wanna make it move. Always gonna be an uphill battle. Sometimes I'm gonna have to lose. Ain't about how fast I get there. Ain't about what's waiting on the other side. It's the climb. I can almost see it. That dream I'm dreaming. But there's a voice inside my head saying, You'll never step I'm taking Every move I make feels lost with no direction My faith is shaking I'm taking Sometimes might knock me down But no, I'm not breaking I may not know it But these are the moments That I'm gonna remember most Yeah, just keep on going conversation you talked about those children who when faced with 
putting their hands in the mud, they don't have a positive response to that. They, they, they have this emotional yuck, I'm not doing it. How do you, how do we work with that? Um, well, the first, the first thing is to to say, oh, that's okay. You know, it's all right if you don't want to do something. This is the whole point of led learning is that they do things at their pace and in their time. Um, so might not want to. So they'll, you know, mix it with a spoon on the table or whatever. Then they'll watch their friends. And so the next thing is um, peer-based learning, you know, watching and learning from your friends. Social learning, the, our social learning needs to come from adults. But this kind of stuff, exploration, curiosity, you can get through watching your mates and seeing that, interacting with, with, the, um, with the product. And, um, you know, eventually, and children, children change their minds and change their brains in an instant. You know, they've got a lot of, it's called neuroplasticity. And while they're, you know, they might have a neuron, a neural power saying that is yuck, it's, re it's relatively easy for them to, to snap that and move over to mud is fun. And, um, you know, and then they build that neural pathway in their brains. And that's an easy thing to do for kids. They've got really plastic, a lot of plasticity in their brains. And, you know, but it's also possible for adults. You know, we can all change our brains and the way that we think if we want to. And, you know, we can all, um, you know, learn that we, we're we actually in control of our thoughts. You know, we our thoughts don't control us. We control our thoughts. If we want to do something, we all have the potential to be able to do that. And that flows on to obviously controlling our emotions because thoughts lead or thoughts um, lead to emotions or feelings. And so if we're in control of our thoughts, then we get control over our feelings. And one of the things that I've learned, um, which I found really useful, the power of yet, because I didn't want to stand as a candidate in a national election and have my face everywhere and, you know, be on, you know, on the internet and have people see me, you know, but, but, but I'm doing it for the greater good. And I just had to turn around and say to myself, actually, Naomi, uh, well, first of all, it's not about you. It's, you know, wider um, challenge that we're facing. And, and also, um, you know, while I wasn't happy, you know, at the start, I said to myself, well, you're not confident yet, but you will get, and there's a, re I watched a really cool TED talk around the power of yet. And you say to yourself, so I can't do this yet. That sends a signal to your brain to say, oh, that's something she wants to learn and I'll start paying attention to that. And so you evolve to then being able to do whatever it was that you wanted to do. And it's a good example is where you drive a car, right-handed, left-handed, right? So say you go over to America or whatever, you're driving on the other side or you come across a car that's got the steering wheel on the other side and you automatically go and change the gears over there and when you're supposed to be going over there. But eventually all this, all the windscreen wipers and the indicators, you know, you change cars and that. And eventually your, your mind changes. So that's a really good example of how plas your brain is has this sort of plastic, it's not plastic, it's like plastic and an ability to change and mold and um, change the way that you do this. And if you want to do something new and you just go, well, I can't do that yet, I'm aiming towards it. And that's something I'm trying to teach my kids.
with the power of yet, how do we help our kids to move from that negative, I can't do it, I'm no good, I'm hopeless, because it's a lot of mental health issues that our kids are facing at the moment. And, and so that negative voice in the mind is so strong. Mm. How do we help our kids to embrace the yet language that will help them to move on from that? Mm. Okay, so, um, you know, obviously positive affirmations and, you know, talking to your kids about how fantastic they are around uh, things that they are capable of, building their confidence is a wonderful thing to do. Um, and I guess one of the things that, another thing that I've learned and is um, the work strategy. Um, so, and this works more, this would work more for older kids. Um, but, you, you know, you can teach them about the power of mirror work. And it feels really uncomfortable when you start. Uh, and, I, I, you know, I did it and it was just so weird. Um, but what you're doing is you, you're picking something that you want to change. So for me, it was um, being able to speak in public. You know, I'd done sort of some work in public, but it was like, very uncomfortable. So it's like, be comfortable speaking in public. And so you see yourself in the mirror, looking in your eyes, and you say it out loud. And if you are looking in your eyes in the mirror and saying something out loud, your brain starts to believe it. Now, it won't start to believe it straight away. It will feel very uncomfortable and weird. And you'll, But if you persevere with it, keep telling you, I can do this. I, am, I can do public speaking. I can be comfortable with public speaking. Say it over and over again. Um, your brain hears it and believes it because you're telling yourself in the mirror. And eventually you you believe it in your heart. So whatever it is, whether it's, you know, I can I can love mother <laughs> or, you know, whatever it is uh, that's important to you, you tell yourself over and over again and it works. And so that would be something for the older kids. For the younger kids, um, again, it depends on age and, and where they're at with their, you know, ability to think rationally, which is not until around the age of eight. Um, for that they're largely working in their social emotional brain and so you have to validate their emotions and asking what's going on for them um, but then their their rational brain kicks in around eight it's different for boys and girls and birth order comes into it as well but um, you know being able to rationally say to them you know this is something that I've learned in my life this, you know adults are learning too we haven't got it all right and something that's working for me is you know whatever the power of yet or talking to myself in the mirror or positive affirmations or breathing, you know, take a deep breath. And then, um, well, for the little kids, you know, it's about just, I think it's about adults becoming educated on what's going for little children and how we should be dealing with them because that's when it really sinks in you know when you're a baby you poo and spew on someone and they still love you unconditionally and then around two or three we start to have expectations on the way a child should be behaving and when they don't behave in that way they start to learn that they're only loved that lovers becomes conditional that they're only loved when are behaving in a certain way and, and therefore love becomes unconditional. And so therefore they don't deserve love. They're not worthy of it. They're not, um, they're not good enough for unconditional love. And we've all had that experience. Um, and so, you know, looking at that, challenging it, realizing that you're deserving of unconditional love and, um, and you know, learning how to deal with small children. And I can't, I wouldn't go past Nathan Wallace. Nathan Wallace Neuroscience educator, he goes around the nation talking to parents about this and teachers. 
and um, he is fantastic. So if he's coming to your region, look him up and go along. He talks about young kids, teenagers, change your brain, the works. Naomi, I have some questions to end the show and almost negative time, so we're going to have to rattle through these. Okay. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Um, starting up STEM Curiosity and getting funding to, to get us going. What's your superpower? I'm, it's, it's something I'm working on was, is the ability to let light and shine light out to the world and be comfortable with that. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? I do uh, because I'm volunteering for the for the Opportunities Party, so I'm putting effort in there. It's a volunteer position, and we want to, you know, it's a party that wants to change the status quo. So, what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Uh, making the world a better place for my children and their peers. Considering that in, intergenerational um, consideration that we need to be thinking about. And what's the biggest challenge or opportunity that you're looking forward to in the next year or so? Um, I think a big challenge from from a societal perspective is in, in, or getting kids to want to put their screens down and get out into the garden. And that's something that, uh, yeah, I want to work towards. Good plan. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Send your kids outside. You know, all ages all that, just put decent clothes on them and let them be. Let them learn to be. You are clearly from the same school of thought as my mother. I'm pretty sure that's how we grew up. I did. I used to go down. We used to go down the farm and uh, won't tell you what we got up to. <laughs> <laughs> Moera. Naomi, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for all the incredible work that you're doing in the community. And I see the pathway ahead and it is like Hamilton becomes the centre of this movement and, and out it spreads and, and there's you driving it. And um, I'm, I get kind of a bit down in the dumps about education periodically, but then I hear the sort of corridor that you've shared today and I get excited about it again and there's some real hope there and thank you for being that hope and for and for walking the talk and for doing the mahi that you're doing thank you for joining us today thank you it's very kind of you to say those because I really appreciate it thank you thank you for joining us It seems it's warmer and warmer, and things have gone from strange to You 
you've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic, which is itself brought to you by T.P. Kanger. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is They Might Be Giants. Then the kids took over. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, with Moira Karatai in Fakatane, and we've been joined from somewhere near Hamilton by Naomi Pocock. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Marty Wa. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.